So we're going to be looking today at uh, obedience uh, in the series that we've been going through around Acts uh, and partnering with the Holy Spirit. Uh, when uh, we were looking at the passages and it seemed I was uh, going to be talking around this, um, I'm quite thankful that this morning my mum isn't here, as I'd be quite distracted by her raised eyebrows about the subject of obedience and, uh, you know, worried, worried what I was going to say and, and what stories I might bring up. Um, but, I, I, you know, just a couple of things. Um, you know, I seem to have lived growing up by the phrase of, you know, it's easier to ask for forgiveness than by permission. And, uh, you know, my mum always used to say that in toddler groups and preschool, whenever there was a, a child crying, she would just automatically look to where I was, as the assumption normally was that I was the cause uh, of, of, of said crying. Um, but I feel, you know, it's good now. You know, I've got three young children of my own, so I think I've got a bit more of a holistic overview of the theme of obedience um, than I did maybe five or six uh, years ago. So... We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 5, if you wanted to open up your Bibles or, or, or your phone. And Felix yesterday, uh, uh, not yesterday, last, last Sunday, uh, did, I think, fantastically just portrayed, you know, in, in the previous chapter in Acts 4, what the apostles were doing. You know, how can we not speak about what we've heard and seen in talking about the testimonies that we each have? And then in the next chapter in Acts 5 that we're going to be looking at, you know, we see that the, uh, the consequences of them being thrown in front of the Jewish leaders and the high council have really not deterred them. And they've carried on healing in the name of Jesus, speaking about the things that they had seen and heard. And again, they get thrown in front of the high priest and the, and the, and the high council. So I'm going to read from chapter, uh, chapter 5 in Acts, verse 17 uh, to the end. Uh, it's quite a long passage, uh, but it is the Word of God, so you can't really complain, um, as it is the Bible. So we'll, we'll start from, from chapter 17. Chapter 5, verse 17. Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go, stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts, as they had been told, and began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, We found the jail securely locked, with the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were at a loss, wondering what this might lead to. Then someone came and said, look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. 
They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by the hanging him on the cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and saviour, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law who was honoured by all of the people, asked the men to be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed the Sanhedrin. Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Phidias appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed. All his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if the purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourself fighting against God. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Thank you, Lord, for this wonderful account and for this word and for just in, in the previous moments that we've had already this morning, just reminding us never to take for granted your love. In essence, all preaching, teaching and evangelism is just saying God loves you. And may we just find that evident and so clear uh, in the next uh, few minutes. Amen. Day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. You know, if, if we could sum up uh, the, whole book of, the whole book of Acts, could sum up the early movement of the church and the early Christ founding Christians, those, that verse, that obedience to proclaim that Jesus is the Messiah. You know, and just as we take 
God's love for granted. Uh, on, you know, on occasion, we can be guilty of that. We can sometimes brush aside and take for granted the obedience and the debt owed to these men and women in the first century, building this church, proclaiming the news uh, that Jesus is the Messiah. You know, they had a lot going against them, you know, just looking at this, at, at this time. You know, the Roman authorities just saw what was called the way, this early Christian movement, as just a subsect, another strain of Judaism. And the Jews, you know, for, for many reasons, not wanting to be associated with them, but a big reason was the fact that the Roman authorities gave the Jews license to carry on in their beliefs, in their culture, and in their worship, that that kind of license was not given or afforded to many other people groups of, of Roman occupation in that time. The fear of, of, the, of, of the Jewish leaders was the fact that the early Christian uh, apostles and founding fathers were bringing Gentiles, thousands and thousands of people, into this new way uh, and expression of worship. And the, Romans, the Romans would get to a point of saying, look, you know, this is getting too big. You know, we're seeing thousands of you now. You can't all have this license to carry on worshipping, living as you have been doing for hundreds of years. And that license that was afforded to the Jews would be lost. And what did they have? In terms of what they were preaching, they were preaching a, uh, about a Messiah who had been crucified, who had been crucified publicly, shamefully in the eyes of Roman culture and in the eyes of, of many that they would be maybe talking to and, and preaching about. And talking about resurrection. Resurrection wasn't in the worldview or the frame of reference of Romans or Greeks or Jews. It's, it, it's, it's, it's this, it would be very similar to how people outside would hear resurrection. Just because it was 2,000 years ago, they didn't have... Uh, a better appreciation or, a, or a, were more, you know, had an affinity to believe in something like that happening. So they had obstacles from all sides. And these guys, you know, Peter, John, James, those apostles, they were Jewish people, men and women. There would have been a, a sense of, and we could safely assume that, not all of their family and friends are overjoyed by their, new, uh, by their new master Jesus, by what they were preaching. Very difficult conversations I'm sure they had with close ones, with their friends, with their family, maybe even being disgraced, maybe people wanting to disassociate themselves with them. But that willingness to be disgraced, to appear foolish and so counter-cultural, even to death, is rooted in their obedience to God. We have so much to be thankful for them. But that obedience was really what they demonstrated. From the Great Commission, from Jesus saying, go out, make disciples of all nations and baptise in my name. Obedience to do that. Obedience to go after signs and wonders even greater than what Jesus had shown them, to put themselves up in that position, to be ridiculed and to, to, to be disgraced, but to go after in obedience signs and wonders. It was 
going from a place of not just doing it in their own strength, of course. You know, the Holy Spirit didn't constantly meet with these guys. The power and presence of the Holy Spirit didn't constantly and consistently meet with these guys as the stories that we read in Acts because they were, you know, God's superheroes. You know, they were Jesus' Jesus's chosen disciples that they were too big to fail. Or that they, they, they were naturally eloquent and gifted in public speaking. Or that they knew the right prayers to say and the right words to utter. But as Peter says in the passage that we read, the Holy Spirit is given to those that obey. It was their obedience to say yes, to take that step forward, to put themselves into difficult positions that led to the Holy Spirit working so powerfully, so majestically and so constantly in their acts and in their lives and in their situations. And over the last few months, we've been talking about partnering with the Holy Spirit and what that means. And a big part of that, is, as, as Peter said, is about the Holy Spirit being given to those that obey. It's what Gamaliel saw. You know, those very well-known words of Gamaliel, when he says, you know, if, you're, if this is from human, if this is coming from man, it will fail. But if it's coming from God, you will just end up fighting against God. Was he struck by their, uh, by their eloquence, by their teaching? Perhaps. But I think it was more, you know, this, is, this wasn't the first time that they were thrown in front of the high council. So like, what is going on with these guys? They, not, nothing, anything we say, any kind of punishments or consequences we give them, they keep on doing it. They keep on preaching this name of Jesus. They keep persisting in proclaiming that he is a messiah. Must have got to a point for Gamaliel saying, Whoa, the obedience shown by these men, their, their persistence, their relentless, uh, uh, their relentless passion for Jesus and for their teaching. Is there something in this that then led him to that, uh, to that logic of saying, If this is from God, then there's nothing that we can do because we will just be fighting against God? Because for us, you know, obedience isn't drawn to power, to status, to acts of service, to great teaching, so to speak, to hosting, to hospitality. But it's that, fundamentally, it's the obedience of the people to do those things. It's your obedience and willingness to serve on a Sunday, to set the chairs out, to, to, to lead worship to do children's work, to come here and provide packed lunches for people over the summer. It's your obedience to take those steps. Then the Holy Spirit is attracted to and wants to partner with that in a powerful way. Now, there can be some sense of thinking of going, oh, you know, um, today, you know, there was, was level three, level three... Uh, uh, effort of worship and a, and a kind of a level two preach so that the Holy Spirit will be given out proportionately based on the, the, the effort there. But it's, it's, it's the obedience, the obedience to get up early and to prepare for it. Obedience to make those sacrifices, to make it a priority, to make it central to our life and to our being. 
that the Holy Spirit, as, as we just see in the uh, examples of the apostles, that everything they did was, was founded on the obedience to what they had heard and seen in the life and in the man of Jesus Christ that had the Holy Spirit there again and again working powerfully. So today, what, you know, what, can, we, what can we do? I, I think there can be a mindset shift. Um, you know, I sometimes, you know, take, take, take for example the, the, the pat the pat lunches being given out over the summer. <clears throat> so we might say, Lord, not too sure if, we can, if I can make the time, if, 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 if I can fit it in. Give me a sign. Give me a sign for, for, from you um, that that's that, that sign I should commit to. Basically we're saying, give me, a, give me a sign for me to say yes to that activity. You know, I'm just using the pat lunch as an example. It could be anything. You know, it could be praying for somebody, <clears throat> asking somebody to come to Christianity Explored, um, praying uh, for healing, perhaps serving on a particular team on a Sunday. We can say, and you know, it's, 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 it's a godly thing to do, say, you know, praying for a sign that that's the right path to go down, that's something that we should commit to. But how about we shift that in terms of a, an apostle-like obedience, I said, Lord, give me a reason to say no. Give me a sign and reasons to say, you know, I, I'm already starting to think about doing this, so there's something maybe in that that you're putting into my heart already. Instead of give me a, a reason and a sign to say yes to it, give me a reason to say no. How might that then change our, our view of obedience and the things that we're open to? And of course, there's got to be a discernment and a, and a godly wisdom in this. You know, so we're not sort of gun ho wholeheartedly going after, stretching ourselves thin uh, and doing it in a, maybe an immature way and a particularly bad way of just saying yes to everything, you know, because we want you know, to be completely obedient and that then means that we say yes to everyone and everything. Oh, of course not, that's not what I'm, say <coughs> what I'm saying. That's where then maybe asking, give me a reason to say no, being open in the discernment and a, a discerning in a, a, a wise way. But just having that mindset shift that I really, you know, just as we read through the apostles and the Acts, I don't think they waited, you know, healing to heal somebody. Give me, you know, is there, give me a sign that I should, um, you know, try and give a word of knowledge or go and heal in there. Living the life of saying to God, give me a reason to say no rather than a reason to say yes. I think it's a challenge for all of us and for, for, for definitely for myself included for a season to, to try that mindset and see where it leads. <clears throat> Just throw that out there. <laughs> but it's, you know, we, we see it in, the, you know, just a couple of examples in the Old Testament. You know, Isaiah, you know, he says, you know, here I am, Lord, send me. Samuel, after mistaking God's voice for Eli, saying, you know, speak, your servant is listening. Godly men and women just being open, being obedient, looking for reasons to say no rather than reasons to say yes. We know we're getting through. I've just turned the page. So we've done one page. So you know we're, we're, we're about halfway there. So who? So when I, whenever I think about obedience, I'm always reminded of an old song um, called like, Trust and Obey for There's No Other Way. Does anyone know? Yeah? Good. I was, I was worried that I might have to sing it, but it sounds like... It, <laughs> but it's, 
Well, what's it? Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. Go. It always, it's, it's funny how songs always think, you know, I first sent that back in the Salvation Army, you know, 25 years ago, and you kind of get, you feel like a five-year-old boy, like a sung discourse, you know. But when I think about obedience, that's what I think about. That, that, and that refrain of trust and obey, uh, just as I've been preparing for this preach, has really, um, re- really struck me. You know, how it's trust and obey. And so I've got, we've got Noah, and he's five, um, nearly six, and he's great most of the time. <laughs> Bit of a handful. He's upstairs, so I can just say whatever I want. It doesn't, it's not going to scar him. Um, but, but me and Lisa, my wife, we could, we could get Noah to do anything if we wanted to. We could get him to do anything. You know, if, if we wanted to, obedience necessar- wouldn't necessarily be a problem because we could, um, you know, tell him, if you do this, we'll give you, you know, a whole bar of chocolate or, you know, buy you a game or, or, or whatever. You know, we could, we could get him to do anything if we were to reward him, you know, massively compared to what we were, we were asking. Um, or we could throw out, you know, some emotional blackmail if we, you know, if we were really, you know, not particularly sort of advising this, but, you know, if we wanted to, oh, you know, it's going to make daddy really, really upset and mummy's going to cry, you know, there's that, you know, that, that sort of stuff if you, don't, if, if, if you don't do it. Or we could go nuclear option and, and, and strike fear in him and use Miss Piccoli, who is his uh, class teacher. Now, so, okay, sometimes you just need to do whatever you need to do to get through the day or to get them down to bed. Sometimes <laughs> that's what you just need to do. So on occasion, if things are really bad, we're like, get, get the mobile out and go, okay, we're ringing Miss Piccoli. Yeah, Miss Piccoli. And as soon as that happens, uh, uh, he's off. He'd do whatever you want. Anything, anything that you want him to do. The nuclear option for Noah Hoyles. If any of the Sunday school teachers want to know that, Miss Piccoli. <laughs> I think it, it might change. Is, is the year one teacher's called? Oh, Miss Piccolo again. Okay, there you go. It's easy enough. <laughs> but, so, as I said, we sometimes, you know, I'm not going to beat myself up about it. Sometimes you have to do what you have to do, and he's five years old, um, and you just sometimes need an easy life. But if those things start to be the main motivator, the main driver behind his obedience as he's growing up, then we have a problem. If obligation and fear or selfishness becomes the main driver behind his obedience, then that's a problem for him, it's a problem for us, and it's a problem for our relationship. When we look at our relationship with God, we should obey because we trust, we trust that the request from God is worth undertaking as it honours the Father and or it builds us up and is good for us. That should be the goal, the main driver of our obedience, that that we trust that the request is worth undertaking as it honours the Father and or it builds us up and is good for us. If it's anything else, and on occasion it will be, you know, Sometimes you just get up in the morning and go, oh, I've got to go and set the chairs up. And it's maybe a bit of obligation. And, but I'm talking about the main driver, the predominant motivator behind your obedience. 
It robs you. It robs you. If I think about a relationship between me and Noah, if Noah grows up and his main motivator behind obedience is fear or obligation or selfishness, it robs the both of us of a, of a fruitful, full-loving, abundant relationship between father and son. And, it, and, and, and in the sense of our relationship with God, it, it, it fails to acknowledge who he is, what he's done, and his rightful place. Let me just unpack, um, unpack this a bit more. So, obligation. If obligation is your, is, is your sole or main motivator behind obeying God, that will lead and maybe has led to a resentful journey. It leads to resentment. It, it leads to a, a, a relationship of, of tiredness, of being burnt out, of have-tos rather than want-tos. You know, the illustration of Mary and Martha. Mary just sitting at the feet of Jesus. Martha feeling that she has to host, prepare, be a, be, 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 be a good Jewish woman in terms of, of hosting Jesus there in the house. It's basically replacing one prison for another and, and not acknowledging what God has done in terms of giving us freedom in Christ, of breaking our bondage, of, of uh, moving us from slave, um, slaves into sonship. It's not acknowledging that God has broken those chains, that our obedience should not be based on that obligation. If it's fear... You know, fear can lead to a distant journey. Definitely. You know, from a human level, but you know, between us and God. If fear is your primarily, primarily uh, and sole driver of obedience, it leads to a distant journey. You know, the Roman, you know, the, the Roman army, based on fear, for, of subordinates, fearing of the consequences, what might happen if they don't take the orders. The people occupied by the Roman forces fearful of what might happen if they don't follow the law of the land. It's understanding and worried of, of making a mistake, of, of, of concealing it, of not being open before God, fearing of what, of, of what might come from it. And in essence, it doesn't truly acknowledge who God is. There is, a, there is a healthy, we, won't go, we, don't, we haven't got time to go into it now, there is, of course, a, a, a healthy and a right, honourable fearing of God, but it's not, in this, it's not in this sense. It's not in this sense of fearing God, of seeing God as a wrathful, hateful, uh, malicious God, or just not known to that extreme, but just unapproachable, just an unapproachable God that you can't come to in your weakness in your despair, in your sin, in, 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 times of, in times of wrong, times of hardship, because your obedience is primarily, primarily driven by fear. And in selfishness, selfishness, if that is your sole or main driver behind obeying God, that leads to a self-centred journey. That leads to, what can I get out of this? What is the reward that I can do and achieve? Doing this for the sake of the promise of eternal life or the way that it makes me look in front of my church family or my peers. 
similar to how the Pharisees would pray those big, eloquent prayers in public and make sure everyone knew that they were fasting by uh, putting makeup on their face and making sure that everyone knew uh, what they were doing in, in sacrifice for their religion. Only obeying, only listening and acting on the word of God when it looks good. When there's enough people um, uh, around to hear it. You know, I won't preach in August because a lot of people are on holiday. There won't be a lot of people there. You know, I, I'll, I'll wait until nearer Christmas when it's more full. Or, you know, it's, you know it's, that's just one example. Stuff like that of just obeying when it's good for you, when it looks good, when it's, uh, you know, c- uh, c- c- can be seen to improve your reputation and character. Making it just about you, an arrogant view of scripture as, uh, perhaps as well. Um, because that ultimately fails to put God in his rightful place. It makes it about us rather than about him. You know, the Bible is all about us, about God's love for us, and it's all written for us, for us to take. We're at the centre of it. Of course there is truth in that. But ultimately, the Bible, the Christian life, our expression of worship, it's all about him. Obeying through selfishness leads to that self-centred journey that puts you at the centre rather than God. So, just lastly, I wanted just to acknowledge that we've spoken there around how trust should really be the sole or or try to be the main motivator behind our obedience. Trust-based and and trust-filled obedience. And I just wanted to touch upon, you know, why, why is he worth trusting? Why is God worth trusting? And that might be a question that some here may be asking. You know, it's great stuff, but why should I put my trust in God? And as, as, as a few people said um, earlier today, you know, it's, it's around God's love. And you know what, in the next sort of five or so minutes, you may have heard this a thousand times, but I just love preaching and talking about the love of Jesus, who God is, and you know, why he is worthy to be trusted and followed. So a few things just to reflect on. Going back to the apostles, 11, widely regarded that 11 of the apostles went to their deaths and were martyred for their faith. And the only one that made it to old age was still so obedient and, 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 and walking with God to the very end that even in his, in his elder years was given a great revelation about the end of days that we see in, in the book of Revelation. Not just that, but the explosion of the Christian church. It, when you look into it, it just defies all human logic of how it happened. When we look about why God worth trusting, you know, why would 11, just, just if we look at the 11 men, the 11 apostles, go into their deaths for something that they thought was a lie or, or half believed in or weren't too sure about, but their whole 100% obedience at right at the end, trusting in their faith and in their Messiah. And how Christianity grew, how the apostles uh, persevered. And Gamaliel, back into that passage, saying it was a God. It was a God that brought it all about. The growth of the church just defies human logic in those first, definitely in those first couple of hundred years. There was something supernatural Something of completely of God in that growth and in those 
as, as, as it is now. They trusted. They, they thought it was worthy of their lives, of their whole being, because of what they saw and heard in the man and the life of Jesus Christ. Walking closely uh, with him for a number of years, seeing his love, his compassion, his wisdom. It's just worth reflecting on if, if you haven't done so already. For a three-year period that is relatively short, what sort of man could have such an impact on those lives that he met? And it's someone to explore, to worth trusting in and believing in, to have such an impact. And just the last point that I wanted to bring around a reason to trust, I'll just ask to reflect, reflect on this. Uh, none of this uh, is necessary, really. None of, none of creation is necessary. Um, so if you puzzle faces, just bear with me. We'll get, we'll get there in the end. Um, there, is, there has been some fall, and people have said that uh, God, to some extent, needs us. That he is an, a, a God of abundant love, that he needs an object or an outlet for his love. That's just, of course, that's, that's just wrong. You know, God is completely one, abundant, whole and perfect just by himself. But what God did was determ determined an ultimate plan. He determined a plan. Now, I don't really know why, but because he did it, it must have been the right thing to do. And the plan that he chose must have been the perfect plan because, you know, he can't make a mistake. And we hear about and we can read about his plan um, a lot in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. You know, in Numbers, uh, Numbers uh, sort of chapter 14, we, we read around, you know, the whole of the earth will be filled with his glory. And Habakkuk, you know, expands it a bit and says, you know, the whole of the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the, uh, as the seas cover the land. There's this, there's this whole um, just meta-narrative of, 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 of God's ultimate plan being uh, to see and to witness and to have his glory filling creation and for a knowledge to be had of his glory and of him throughout creation. That was a plan that he, be, that he determined. So there has to be a creation for that to happen. He has to create to see the fulfilment of his determined plan. But then I got to thinking... So when God says, let there be light, in the opening verses of Genesis, God being God, who knows all there was and is and is to come in terms of the wholeness of, the, of knowledge, before he uttered those words, he knew that quite soon after he had created beings in his own image, they would disobey him. That there would be a fall, there would be disobedience. That very soon after creating this wonderful world, these beings in his own image, there would be distance, separation, 
between him and his creation. Not just men and women, but the whole of creation being in chaos and disorder because of the fall and because of the disobedience shown by man. The heartbreak, the anguish that God was then prepared to go through to allow that separation and, and gap to happen. And for the, in, in this separation, over centuries, cycles of disobedience, of people rejecting him, some people walking with him, but a lot of others going after other gods, throwing it back in his face, disobedience, heartbreak and anguish for Father God to see that, see that in his children time and time again, just not getting what he's speaking and trying to speak through the prophets. And it gets to a point where he has to send his one and only son, part of the Godhead, has to go down in a rescue plan. And there would become a point when Jesus would be on a cross dying for man, taking a burden of sin. But there would be a moment that had never happened that God turned away and there is separation in the Godhead between Father God and the Son of Man, Jesus Christ. He knew that. And even then, millions and millions of people over the centuries still reject him, still don't see him worthy to be trusted or to believe, to believe in even. And those that do believe that he, maybe there is a God, millions see him as that hateful, wrathful, vengeful figure. God was willing to go through all of that and to say, let there be light. For someone to do such a crazy love act, to create when he didn't have to, to have a plan that involved a creation that would cause him so much heartbreak, heartbreak and anguish. That is a God worth trusting. That is a God worth following and believing and giving our lives to. For a God who knew all of that and still said, let there be light. So just as we close and just in response, just maybe just for a couple of moments, and then I'll pray. But just spend some time reflecting on why are we here? Why do we do what we do? And if we're, if we're Christians already, why do we serve the way that we do? Why do we get up in the morning on a Sunday? Why do we come here? Do the acts uh, and are involved in the areas that we're involved in? If after, just as you spend some time with yourselves, just reflecting on, if it's mainly out of obligation or fear or selfishness, I sort of pray now that we, that this gets broken down and that we can walk into, into asking God for signs to say no rather than saying yes in, certain, in many situations and that we can, like the apostles had, have a trust based and a trust-filled obedience 
in Father God. But also, you know, if you're still just wrestling and weighing up, you know, whether God is worth trusting, worth investing time in, just pray, just reflect on the explosion of the Christian church. Of those, what those apostles did, they found it worthy to give their life to. Of who God is, his character, his inherent nature, of abundant, crazy, irrational sometimes, just love and compassion for people that led him to say, let there be light. Even though he knew the heartbreak and the strife and the anguish that would have given him. So I just ask just for us to just bow our heads just for a couple of minutes. Just reflect on that. And then I'll, I'll be, I just want to pray for you all.